0: in our heads,
1: I, I think that they're watching. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Pekovich and this is episode number 257. Releasing in Australian cinemas on the 7th of November, and also appearing as part of the Monsterfest Film Festival that is due to leave the comfy confines of Melbourne and hit the road on the 31st of October is The Furies, a suitably savage slasher horror film that rips away a genre convention to stand out as its own beast of a movie. Join me on the podcast is The Furies writer and director Tony Aquino. Tony, I thank you very much for joining me today. Well,
0: thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. And that's a great description of the movie you
1: gave there. Um, speaking of great descriptions, so I read uh, a bit about the pitch that you put towards the funding bodies for The Furies and you said it was Halloween meets Battle Royale, and that is such a apt description. I was just curious, though, where did that idea first originate?
0: Uh, so the um, film came about um, in 2015. Screen Canberra ran a uh, program called Accelerator Pod, which was basically a pitching competition. So a script writing classes combined with a pitching competition where they were asking for ideas for low-budget genre films, and you had to pitch basically three ideas over a number of weekends, and that was one of the first ideas I pitched. And it came from, I've always loved um, the films, the films of the 70s and 80s, especially this kind of slasher exploitation movies. And I just had this k- sort of idea what happened if, using that final girl trope, where it's always kind of <clears throat> one surviving woman and the masked killer, what if you had a bunch of final girls and a bunch of their match killers together and they had to fight off to the death. That's kind of where it came from.
1: Usually in those slasher films, it's the one killer. Um, the one guy who goes around doing all the damage. And this film is really interesting because he had several. Um, was it always the idea from the beginning to have more than one bad guy? I mean, it start off being the, kind of like a traditional slasher film and then evolved to what it was now.
0: Yeah, no, it was always going to have multiple masked killers and multiple women. So it's like multiple it's multiple final girls with their match killers. So imagine... The idea initially when I pitched it was kind of like, imagine Laurie Strode from Halloween and Michael Myers have to face off against um, Jason and his final girl and all yeah. those all together in one kind of death match. Yeah, so there were always going to be multiple mask killers. That was always the idea.
1: The great thing about each of these guys is that they have these distinctive looks and that the looks, the masks themselves, are just really effective. They're really kind of strike uh, striking. Um when it comes to the look themselves of the mask, did that come through the script, or is that something that evolves later when you get involved with your practical effects and makeup people?
0: It was always there in the script. Um, initially, I wanted to have Master original, but also paid you know homage, or kind of could um, reflect on previous films, so you can see can trace the origins back to um, of some of the killers to you know films like The Burning or Tourist Trap or Friday the Thirteenth. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so that was always in the script, but then um, saying that's there and then having to design actual masks was a was a kind of a longer process. I did work with Larry Van Dynehoven and his uh, designers, Seth, Seth Justice, we talked about ideas and we did a whole lot of drawings and kind of picked the final eight that we went with that are in the film to um, make them be original, but also you know, astute viewers who have seen those films will be able to see where
1: they've come from or where they were inspired by, what films they were inspired by. Yeah, and what's really interesting to me is that you and I, and a lot of people as well, we are big fans of those 70s and 80s horror movies, and um, I'm talking to a lot of filmmakers these days, horror filmmakers, that come from that, that, that's their films, that's the films that they grew up with, and they are really embracing practical effects. It really is making a comeback um was practical effects always going to be the road that you were going to travel down in regards to depicting the the kills etc on in this movie
0: yeah i always want yeah i think everyone who's watched those films i loved practical effects so i always wanted that to be in the film and the hard part is in is finding someone who can actually do it so i can write those things in the script um but luckily you know i was uh, met, I was introduced to Larry, who became good friends very quickly because we had like the same sorts of movies and had the same visual references and he was able to bring those things I described to life. Like the scene that I wrote that had become kind of a little bit infamous as the kind of most realistic, horrific death scene ever filmed. Mm. um, Has, uh, I wrote it, but I didn't actually know if anyone could actually do it, but kind of Larry figured out a way to do it and made it look as great as as it is. So I did always want it to be practical effects. I just think... C- CGI camp, is, of course, is great for some things, but I think for visual effects like this, practical effects, prosthetics have a, have a bit of a weight to them and uh, even the mistakes help to make them look more real. So there are little mistakes in all the effects because they're not perfect, but that helps to, in a way, sell the believability and help you get past the... Um, helps with suspension of dis- disbelief, where sometimes the CGI can be too clean or too perfect and you're kind of actively looking... Where, where it is not perfect, so but with practical effects, you just affect you just kind of accept the imperfections right away and yeah. go with
1: it. I want to talk about the art of creating a kill on screen, and I think my first question is going to be when it comes to the different ways that you dispatch with your victims. Um, is it scripted as first? Do you write down exactly how they're going to go out?
0: Yeah, I write down ex- exactly how it all. That's, that are in the film uh, were in the script originally, so I did write that very specifically how they were how they were to look and how how they were to be how they were supposed to play out. Um, yeah, that, that's nothing really changed from what I wrote in the script.
1: When it comes to actually doing it on screen, you have, like you said, you have Larry, you have his team. He's confident yeah. that he can bring that to life. When it happens in front of you, you're seeing what you wrote down, which you said before you weren't sure if it could happen, he's making it happen in front of you. What is your first reaction?
0: So the first big effect we had was the um, axe to the face scene, which we did on day two. And it was the first effect I'd seen. Um, So I was naturally nervous about how it was going to play out. And... I was watching it on the monitor and it was it just looked amazing. so I was incredibly happy, but at the same time I was a little bit terrified that it, I almost thought it did look too real. Mm. <laughs> you know had I gone too far, but yeah, it was amazing to see it for the first time and it is kind of overjoying seeing when those things. Over, I do get overjoyed when I see those things work.
1: What is it like when you are screening your film and you know these moments are coming up and you hear that reaction from the audience? What is that feeling like from you as a filmmaker?
0: Uh, It's amazing. I mean, every screening is kind of torturous for me to watch because all I can see is all mistakes and all the things I want to do differently, all the things I want to go back and change. But when those moments work, it's incredible. It's exhilarating. So recently at um, the film screened in Norway at Opdal, the festival of the mountains, where, do you know the film Troll Hunter? Yes, I do. So with that was with filmed. There's a small film festival up there called Brummer's Creek, which is amazing. So the film screen there, and after that that first kill scene, there was kind of a gasp, and the audience was silent for a beat, and then a woman in the back row just kind of involuntarily kind of yelled out, holy shit. <laughs> so they're kind of that's that's the best thing, where that really works and gets people and kind of, yeah, gets the reaction you want. They're kind of... Because it's hard to do these days, because people have seen so much in movies to make... Some, make something that has an impact
1: and i think that is a really good point as well because you want to push the envelope as far as you can to get a reaction um, but at the same time you want to make sure that it works for the story and in your case the gore scenes because i'm not a big gore hound but if it works in yeah. context with the story then i'm cool with it and in your movie it does certainly do that
0: yeah i mean i hope so because i mean really at the heart of the film is the film is really beyond the gore, about friendship and betrayal and what you'll do to survive. And also, I was very conscious about redressing, even though I love slasher films, towards the end of the cycle, they did become problematic. They did become a little bit misogynist and sexist. So I wanted to redress some of that in this film so that there is... All women basically behave sensibly and they do what they... know. They behave stupidly. They're doing what they need to survive. They, um, they're not waiting for men to come and rescue them. They never talk about... Boyfriends, or anything, it's all just um, redressing some of those shortfalls that did happen in slash films, there's no unnecessary nudity, that sort of thing. So, I do want it to be about that as well, beyond as well as embrace all the conventions that you need to in this sort of film.
1: I think the, the great thing about filming in Australia is that, like, not far from our own backyards, there's always locations where we can shoot films that are very unique to the screen. Um, we can provide locations on screen that are different to what the UK or the US can do. In your case, you have uh, it was I think it was an old mining town, right? About fifteen minutes drive from Canberra. Um, is that correct?
0: Yeah, it's an old. Um, it's called um, Bowen. By- 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 old By- Gold Town. It was built as a tourist resort on an actual old gold mine town, so they recreated the town and built old mine, built old, built the buildings and um, dressed fully dressed it to be accurate to the period. And they built it in the 70s, early 70s, as a tourist attraction, but it went um, broke. So the only just kind of walked away and left it there. So it's been rotting since then, basically, uncared for. And it's surrounded by 60 acres of ghost gum forest, which is what you used in the film as well. So it was an amazing location for us to find as a low budget production, because it's basically our own huge studio backlog. We had to do some, the production department Design department did some modifications to the buildings to make sure they're safe to shoot in, and mm-hmm. you know rearrange the props. But um, it really adds a lot of production value to the film, and it looks amazing. Especially, I found with audiences overseas, the, it's just a very strange environment for them to see. And also, I think the, I mean the Australian light's very different as well. So, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to shoot in daylight rather than night. Um, so it does look quite stark and eerie and different. And I think yeah, like you said, quite unique.
1: That is a really good point as well because I wasn't even thinking that when I watched it because I guess I'm so used to watching Australian horror movies which are based in the daylight because the locations themselves are just so sort of foreboding because of their isolation and such. It just works so well on screen.
0: Yeah, I think it's so strange to overseas viewers. So it's, It is so unique, to kind of, uh, the way the land looks here. It does look brutal to overseas viewers. And I, overseas audiences too, all you hear about Australia is Sharks, spiders and snakes Anything mm. will kill you So to see that environment for them That the excellent environment will kill you Works as well
1: When it comes to perhaps Future installations More movies for the the Furies Because not to give away too much But there is suggestion that there can be more Have you had any thoughts yet On maybe creating the sequel uh, to this movie?
0: I uh, have I mean I initially planned as a three movie Kind of arc three three, a three film story um so we'll see what happens you know i did there are hints in the film about you know a greater world outside of the film that the game takes place in so there is certainly room there and we'll, we'll see what happens we'll see how it goes
1: well i really do hope it does happen because this is a great film tony and congratulations to you with it and for everyone out there listening in australian cinema 7th of november the furies be sure to watch it uh, and also just embrace it, man. You know, I think it's so great how Australian um, filmmakers can make such great movies uh, on such a low budget. And um, what you've done with this film has uh, just been terrific. So, Tony, congratulations with the film. And hopefully, um, we can talk again when it comes to future projects.
0: I would love to. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for your time.